also any sort of introduction. This is Brett Raker, extraordinaire at everything. Extraordinaire at everything. Mm, or is there, I feel like there's- I think we'll just let the words speak for themselves. The words speak for themselves. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I want to also start off by saying that neither of us are giving anyone advice on That's what, what to invest in or how to really invest. This is just what we've learned so far. Avoiding a lawsuit. Uh, yeah, That's I'm not I'm not trying to tell anybody how to do anything. <laughs> just simply what Brett and myself have done so far. I asked Brett to come on because he's taught me a lot about investing over the past few years and got me interested in investing. And it's just the most knowledgeable person our age that I know that invests. Let's begin this segment. Very exciting, titillating stuff. Let's first start off with some buzzwords so that way we can understand moving forward what things mean. <laughs> Dividends, like what's a dividend? A dividend is basically when you, so when you buy a stock, you're buying a share of that company, like a percentage of ownership and you receive kind of your profits either when a company makes revenue and profit and they have gross margin they make 10 million dollars gross margin per year they can decide what to do with that we're going to invest this into the future put this back into the company invest and expand we're going to pay this out to the investors through a dividend something like that so that's what a dividend is it's a company giving their investors the owners of the company the profits that okay. they earned and then just to get even more simpler than a dividend what is a stock and then my follow-up to that is what is a bond because i feel like those are the two things that everybody hears to invest in are stocks and bonds so that's yeah what is a stock one. and what is a bond all right, well, stock, also called a security, is a share of a company that you are purchasing. It's, I mean, it's pretty simple. They're traded on an exchange, and you can come, you can purchase one, and now you own X percentage of the company so at a certain price. So would one go to buy a percentage of this stock? Like, you can't just go to a grocery store and buy a percentage of a stock. <laughs> yeah. So an everyday investor like us... We're not buying it on the primary market. We're buying secondary shares that are already sold and resold. Okay. So, so you're going to use a broker. You. You're going to use a broker job. Like okay. E-Trade, Charles Schwab, Robinhood, Fidelity. Yeah, the list goes on and on and on. But it doesn't really matter which one you use. It serves the same purpose regardless. So when you're talking about a secondary market, what is that? So stocks are initially offered and then there's secondary market where they're offered again. You're buying it from somebody who's already bought the stock. When I purchase a share through my investment account through Fidelity, yes. I'm buying it on the secondary market because Fidelity You're, already possesses that stock. Somebody else possesses that stock. It's connecting buyers with sellers is how the stock market operates. Right. That's how prices are determined. That's how you buy and sell. Is I go, I say I want to buy 10 shares of Apple and somebody's also selling 10 shares of Apple and it's connecting us and I'm receiving shares. Someone's selling them through the brokerage app and I'm buying the shares through the brokerage app and they're the intermediary. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. And then does the same thing apply to bonds? Do you buy <laughs> and sell through the same place? And what exactly is a bond? 
A bond is a contract. So there's three, there's different types of bonds. There's corporate bonds, there's municipal bonds, and there's government bonds. And they all pay out different rates over different periods of times. And there's very complicated bonds and there's simple bonds. And the bond market is basically considered a, um, a risk-free way to earn a certain percentage of money. You're gonna see a bond yield, like a 10-year yield of something like one, 2%, and you can go and buy that, and that's what you earn over the time. And basically, so a corporate bond is when a corporation needs money, sometimes it's easier than to go to a bank and say, hey, JP Morgan, can I get $100 million at a certain rate because I need to grow my company? Instead, they can offer a bond out to investors, the public, and the public can buy up that bond, and it might be a lower rate, more advantageous for the company. And the investors are giving them money up front. They're paying the price up front, and then on the back end, they're receiving the coupon payments or a payment at the end or whatever it is, depending on how the bond is structured. So what is a coupon payment in contrast to a dividend? It's basically the rate on the bond. So if I'm receiving, if I put $1,000 into a bond and it has a 5% coupon payment uh, twice per year, that means I get $50 twice per year. Is coupon to bond as dividend is to stock? That's a good way of thinking about it. I would say so. Not all stocks pay dividends and not all bonds are going to have a coupon payment, but I'd say most of them will. It really depends on where you're looking. I know when I first got into investing and I started talking to you about it, you suggested to me to not put as much money into bonds. I said zero dollars into bonds, yes. Yeah. Mm Yeah. So why is that? Well, I think it depends for every single individual where you want to put your money. It depends how old you are and when you plan on retiring and when you want to pull that money out. And then it depends on if you have any financial obligations, student loans, credit card debt, that sort of thing. But I mean, at the end of the day, if you're putting your money in an index, you're returning an average of 10% per year. Now, let's pause for a second. What is an index? An index is a collection of stocks that is being tracked. So the most famous index is the S&P 500, right? debatable but yeah so there's the s&p 500 dow nasdaq russell uh, right. countless more nickel yeah and so that's essentially you put your money in the you don't really pay much attention to that stock mm-hmm. because it has historically projected an upward trend it's not yes. a very aggressive growth trend but it is an upward trend. what do you mean aggressive growth trend so when i think of aggressive growth i think of Going up 150% within two years. Okay. There's, like, that's not normal for the S&P 500. Like, it it's has... It's normal for anything. No, it, exactly. No. So, like, that's aggressive growth. Yes, that, yes. Aggressive growth also comes aggressive risk. Mm-hmm. So, an index, an index and an index fund are two different things. There's the S&P 500, which is an index, mm-hmm. and an index fund is a fund that tracks the index. It could be an ETF or a mutual fund. Okay that is an index fund. It could be broken into two groups, but that is separate from what an index is. Okay, so Just, what's an ETF and what's a mutual fund? An exchange trade fund or a mutual fund. An exchange trade fund is something that is not actively managed. You're gonna have to be charged a low rate for owning it and it's just gonna track a certain set of stocks. It could track an index, it could track a commodity, it could track 
all sorts of things. Is a commodity just one individual stock? No, a commodity is like gold, oil, that sort of oh. thing. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay, and then a mutual fund is managed then by somebody? It's actively managed, so you're probably going to pay a higher rate, but it's basically the same concept as an ETF, where it's tracking said set of securities, yes. So when you go on to your brokerage account to make a transaction, how do you know the difference between an ETF and a mutual fund? Well, I guess you would really have to research that for yourself. Um, it'll say maybe on the ticker what it is but dude you really have to research that for yourself so when yeah. you research stocks how do you go about doing that because you always know the current events that are associated with a current ticker symbol which well, i never understood how you did that because i never understood where you would just openly find this information I mean, that's a pretty broad question. And, um, like, how do I find out about stocks or find... <laughs> yeah. I'm, I feel like that's... It's a broad question, but it's like, how do people even begin to look? Because, okay, you have a niche market that you look at. Yeah. And I have a niche market that I look at. So then I narrow down that sector. For instance, I'm very into indoor farming and vertical farming and Mm -hmm. sustainability so i look at that vertical and that industry so that i can understand okay what are the current events associated what are some name players that might be looking to come into the market that sort of thing so that's kind of how i look at the market and how i look at investing and i try and keep up on those current events but with that you have to be very cognizant about what's going on day to day because it's not like a mutual fund where you just no. put money in and then it'll eventually increase like yes. you actually have to pay attention mm-hmm. so yeah buying individual stock securities is very different from putting your money in an etf or a mutual fund where it's going to be actively managed you it has a historical track rate and you can kind of sit back and do nothing and never check your portfolio and you'll be okay buying stocks yes definitely incredibly different and i mean how i learned about it i think a variety of channels obviously reading like the wall street journal news checking up on just financial apps like yahoo finance different apps on my phone kind and of how many times per week or per day do you do that i mean i guess it depends i would say um you know it used to be a lot more it'd be every every day i would be checking up on stuff like that now that i'm very busy uh much less but i'm also investing much less or invest well not investing much less but investing in um individual securities much less or new stocks that i don't already understand much less that makes sense Mm -hmm. so is how would you say that the ratio of your money is put would you say that the majority of that is put into like your 401k and then i'll say like how mine is broken down but i like anyone else it would be terrible advice i think yeah it's it really depends on like who you are and how much you understand and so explain so i have probably i mean at this moment in time i've probably um if you looked at my portfolio two or three years ago I would say it's probably 75% individual stocks that I'm holding, like probably 10 to 15 different stocks, and then 25% ETFs, mutual funds, broken out between value and growth. Now I've been pushing it closer and closer to 50 and 50, so a lot of my money has been going into ETFs just because it's 
simpler. So now I'm closer to probably like I hold probably eight to ten stocks that are fifty percent of my portfolio, and fifty percent would be um, broken up between two different ETFs. One okay. is tracking more growth sector, and one is tracking more value. So in different markets, they kind of perform differently and even out. Mm-hmm. And so when you get your paycheck, how do you allocate towards investments? Do you allocate a per, a portion of all of your paychecks to investments? Yeah, I mean, I try to budget it out and save a certain percentage of my paycheck every um, month, obviously. I'd say at the end of the month is when I move money into my brokerage account and I try to like track my expenses and So you're not really keen the on same. that saying, pay yourself first. You wait until the end of the month, see what your expenses are and then go and invest. Um, what you have left over? I would say right now, yes, yeah. simply because I moved to Boston two months ago and obviously expenses are variable. I've been spending a lot of money in my apartment on uh, other things, so I don't want to put more money than I can spare into my account. That's fair. And yeah. No, that's so I did the month, same thing. end of the month, look at how much I earned, how much I spent, and then figure out what it is. Yeah. And I've I budgeted out beforehand before I came to Boston, like how much I'm gonna be able to save for a month when paying all this rent, yada yada. Mm-hmm. And like it's held up pretty well, I'd say, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's a lot harder when you're moving to a new city and you're trying to make friends. For my whole first year, I recently just re looked at my structure for my finances. Mm-hmm. But my entire first year, like you're trying to make friends, you're trying to go out, you're trying to do things. Oh, yeah. And it's so. You don't want to be the person that says no, because as soon as you say no, then you're not going to be invited the next time, like that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So you're trying to do all these things with all of these people and you're spending all this money. So I'm completely on board with not paying yourself first when you first move to a city. Like mm-hmm. There's a point in time when your personal happiness and your personal relationships come before finances. And that's well, not to say like, don't live within your means because you definitely should live within your means. But it is important to find some sort of balance in saying, okay, I know I can afford this, but it just means that I won't be able to invest this much money. I would say it really depends on the person. If you have any student loan debt or credit card debt, that should be the first thing you address every time you have a paycheck. You don't need to completely resolve it or put all your money there, but you should be addressing it bit by bit with every paycheck before you put money in the market and before you think about doing anything else. But if you're in a financially stable situation where like you have a good job, you have no debt, you're, um, yeah, then that would be a little different. You can address it on the back end and enjoy yourself a little more. So what is the goal of investing? Like, okay, you're putting all this money into investment. You're watching it grow. Cool, great. What does that really mean? Like, what are these assets? How do they impact us now? And how will they impact us in the future? So, I mean, the goal, I guess, differs a little bit for everybody. But the principle of it is that you're building for your future. You're saving money now. And you have to think about, I mean, compound interest is one of the most important things that a lot of people never think about in their life. Okay, so explain what compound interest really is. So, if I make $10,000 this year and I let that $10,000 sit in my bank account till I'm 40, it's still worth Mm $10,000. Although not even though, because with inflation, it's probably worth about $2,000 when I'm 40. 
or has the purchasing power of $2,000 now when I'm 40. But if I put that in the stock market, my first year it grows at 10%. Now I have $1,100. And now $1,100 is gonna grow at 10%. And now I have even more and more and more. And it's gonna grow and just compound on top of it. And that money when I'm 40 will not look like $1,000, it'll be more like $10,000. Wait, I said $10,000 to start with. <laughs> it'll be like $100,000. With inflation, since you brought it up, how does that inf affect the stock market? So inflation is really just prices going higher. Right. It's like the stuff like the CPI is what kind of inflation is based off or what the inflation numbers come from. And that is really just prices going higher. Like your groceries all of a sudden are 10% higher. You're paying 10% more. We go out for a drink, it's 10% higher. Your rent is 10% higher, whatever. And that's really what inflation is. So you're still making the same $50,000 at work, but all of a sudden that $50,000 is not going nearly as far because everything is more expensive. And that's what inflation is. And See, inflation affects the stock market because it's just, I mean, the stock market is all about investor perception. Like, um, I mean, the stock market is based off how many people are buying and how many people are selling. That's like, so say I own 10 shares of Apple for $500 and I want to sell those 10 shares and I go to my app and I want to sell these 10 shares but nobody there's not 10 people who want to buy it I find five people who want to buy Apple for $500 then all of a sudden the stock price goes down because it has to match a buyer with a seller now it's $490 and three more people want to buy shares of Apple at $490 so I sell off three more of my shares and I have two shares left and it goes down to $485. And now two more people want to buy it. And I sell those two shares and now Apple's a $485 stock instead of $500. So it's all about who is buying, who is selling in the market. And that's really just about perception about where the market is going and confidence in the market. And inflation definitely has a negative impact. The thing is at the end of the day is the best way to beat inflation is by letting your money grow. That, at the end of the day, is the best way to do it. But, so you want your money in the stock market. Like with inflation, there's no better place for your money to be in the stock market outpacing inflation so that you are growing your wealth. But obviously inflation does have negative impacts on the market. But in the long run, it'll work out and it will grow at the same rate. So talking about investing in the market, Mm -hmm. There's two different kinds of markets, a bear market and a bull market. I guess you could say that. I mean, a, bear, a bull market is a market that is growing, and a mm -hmm. bear market is a market that's declining. Mm -hmm. There's, I mean, I don't know, like during COVID, a market was jumping all over the place, and it's until it started declining, it was all over the place, volatility, crazy, like, I don't know if I'd call that a bull or a bear market, just a weird market. So what do you do in <laughs> times like that? Do you just continue investing as normal and everything will balance out? Or Yeah, I mean, that's the best way to do it. Obviously, like it's kind of scary investing because you see the market's down you know, 25% all of a sudden and your money's worth a lot less. You look in your account, you know, $100,000, all of a sudden you have $75,000. You're like, geez, where did this go? But you have to think about... It depends if you're owning individual stocks or ETFs. If you're owning ETFs, you have to think about in the long run, it will bounce back. And 
if the market is down 25%, then you're almost buying at a discount. You're jumping in when the market is cheap and the market will bounce back. It could take a year or two, but it will bounce back and your money will grow. So because the market is currently down right now, you would say that now is pretty good time to invest? or would I mean, you- the market can obviously go lower, right. but I would say the best time to invest is the present. The Kind of the golden rule is money, like time in the market over time in the market. You don't want to wait and let your money sit in the sidelines and then try and jump in when you think the price is right. Mm-hmm. You just want to be saving a certain percentage and, you know, buying stock at like a slow rate every week, every month, whenever you're doing it. If you're owning individual securities, it's a little different because obviously the market's down 25%, but you could have stocks that are still doing okay. You could have stocks that are down really bad. It entirely depends. And you, when you own individual securities, you need to be looking at each of them and saying, has the value prop changed on this stock? Is it still the same stock that I bought? Like I bought this at $10, it's now a $4 stock. Is it still the same stock then? Is it still the same value prop? Is it still, would I still price this thing at you know $17 as my target price? And if the answer is yes, and nothing's really changed, then you should be buy-buy buying all day long. If you still think that your stock is just as valuable as before, then you should be buying up as much as you can and averaging your cost down. And then if you look at a stock and the market's gone down and you think, oh, the stock in the market's not gonna perform well, the value has changed, like their earnings were significantly lower than I projected, then you have to consider selling or moving your money elsewhere or not investing anymore and letting it sit. With that type of investing, there's also investing with your company through a 401k. Mm-hmm. So what is a 401k and an how em- does that differ from investments that I would make in my brokerage account? A 401k is just, it's an investment retirement account that is going to be managed by a third party or your employer. And I would say the golden rule is no matter like where you're working, if you have a 401k, whatever the company matches up to, always put that much in it because it's free money. You're putting 6% of your paycheck in and the company is matching that. You're just getting you know free money there. And so the 401k at my last company, it was managed internally. I think it's a third party that manages it now, but it's basically the same thing as you know having your money in a brokerage account and investing in stocks and growing it. It's just a set plan that your employer has. What does your employer gain by matching it? Like, why do they match it? Um, That's a good question, and I don't know if I could speak on it. There could be regulatory requirements, but I think it's just part of the employment benefits. Like, why does your employer offer you health care? They don't need to offer you health care, but they do because it's more promising for employees to come there if they have good benefits, if they offer a 401k match, if they offer you healthcare and dental. And then once you leave a company, so you put, say your last company gave you a 6% match. Do you leave that 6% in there with that company? And when you're at the next company, that 6% is still in there? Or do you take that out when you leave? Like, how does you that can do, work? You can do either. So you can let it sit there and like they're not gonna like do anything with your money. It's still in there and they'll probably provide you with quarterly annual updates, whatever not, whatever you opted for. And it'll just sit there. Um, You can roll it over into a new plan or you can roll it over into your own personal account. But the big thing is that depending on 
what sort of money you've been putting in there, you may have to pay taxes to pull it out. So Speaking of taxes when you pull it out, let's talk about Roth IRAs and what other retirement investment plans are there. So Roth IRA is um, definitely a very helpful thing that a lot of people should be putting their money into. It's an account where post-tax money, you pay taxes, and then you're putting this money into the Roth IRA and you're not paying any taxes on the back end. I currently have three investment sectors in my portfolio, I guess. So I have my 401k, yeah. I have my Roth IRA, and then I have my individual investments that I choose where they go. Yeah. But you can also choose where your Roth IRA investments go as well, but you can't do anything with that money. Like if I wanted to pull that money out of the stock market that I put in, I can do that. It's harder mm-hmm. to do with your Roth. Like you can yeah, leverage but- your Roth to like put, for a mortgage or whatever, but what is why are there so many different areas to invest? If you're all, if essentially it's all for retirement, like it's all like you said for savings, it's all for growth, it's all for the end. Yeah, well, it's all taxed differently. Like a Roth IRA, I think you can put six thousand in per year, and then twelve thousand mm-hmm. if you're like a family where you have, your your spouse are earning money. I might have to check me on that. Um, but yeah, it's all used for different means. Like a Roth IRA, you're paying tax in the back end, or sorry, on the front end. And you're on a 401k, you're also paying tax differently. So it's all kind of different ways that you can save for retirement. And why are there caps on it? So I know for me, with my Roth, you're right, you can only put $6,000 in annually. Mm. Why is there a cap on it? Is it because they don't want people to take advantage of being taxed right now as opposed to later? Like Probably. What is the government gaining I mean, that? So like, who is gaining Right now that? as opposed to later, when you're investing normally, you're paying tax now and later. Just as F. Mm-hmm. Yes. So you have either a normal income tax or a capital gains tax, depending on when you're selling the stock. If I were to invest in Apple and I sold it three weeks from now, or if I were to be buying options, I'm paying my normal income tax bracket, and that's taxable income. If I sell stock after a year, I'm paying a capital gains tax, which is a lower tax bracket, and could be as low as you're paying $0 of tax. Mm-hmm. And I think it goes up to like 30%. Okay. And since you brought up Apple, I just want to ask a quick question for clarifying reasons. So when you invest in a stock and a stock splits, yeah, what does that mean? It's just they're dividing out the shares. If Apple has 100 shares for $500, they do a five to one split. Also, they have 500 shares at $100. So, But what's the purpose of that? What is there to gain from that? It's kind of advantageous because if you think of a stock like in Amazon where you know it's a three thousand dollar stock before now they have like stock slices I don't know if you've heard that term but company Robinhood and other broker drafts have started doing stock slices but before that if you want to buy a share of Amazon you need three thousand dollars to go and buy that share when they do a spot split all of a sudden do a five to one split it's a six hundred dollar stock and now it's much easier for some sorts of investors to invest in the company you'll gather more investors and you'll drive the price up. So it's kind of just an artificial way to try and drive up value on a stock. So for the most part is the way I look at it. Who decides when the stock splits? Is the company, the shareholders? Like who decides when it splits? The company decides, yeah. Mm -hmm. And of course, I mean, as a shareholder, you have voting rights depending on the shares that you're buying. But um, 
you kind of you have to like you don't actually make get to make decisions right yeah but i mean if you're warren buffett and you have the majority share at coca-cola i'm assuming that you well to make some pretty warren, you can't have the majority share it's a publicly owned company so any company that's on the stock market nobody has the majority oh really yes mm, interesting yeah but he owns a lot of it probably yes i would assume a large margin yeah i think that there's some sort of i don't know if it's accurate i think i just read this somewhere it might have been on twitter so don't know how accurate it is but warren buffett makes more annually from his dividends yeah. dividends than the ceo of coca-cola i wouldn't i mean that wouldn't surprise me yeah yeah, which is insane because Coca-Cola is a massive company. But yeah, so that's just... Yeah. Berkshire Hathaway is a bigger company, though. That is very true. I looked at them trying to buy a share of Berkshire Hathaway the other day, and I was like, absolutely not. What's it, like $300,000 right yeah, now? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, I was no, like, oh, not okay. For me. <laughs> uh, I guess I could buy a house with that. But um, <laughs> when you start investing, what would you say some of the best practices for investing are? Like... With someone our age, what is the best things that they can look for, that they can do, that they can get started on? Say you're starting at square one. You know nothing. You have nothing, but you have a thousand dollars that you want to put somewhere. Um, I would say, I mean, everyone's different, but I'd say the golden, like my personal approach for someone that doesn't have knowledge of the market, or kind of just any individual in general, would be to buy you know, mutual funds and ETFs, where you're not buying individual stocks with that risk associated. You don't have to actively keep track and look at a company's earnings quarter to quarter to see if it's still the same company you invested in or if, oh no, I need to sell it. It's like they have major concerns. So if you're just putting your money in an ETF or mutual fund, you can kind of sit back, not check your account and know that it is growing steadily for the foreseeable future unless something crazy happened like america decided to completely collapse on itself yeah which i think we should be fine on with the decentralization of the u.s currency or just currency in general (laughs) with crypto what does that really mean and what does that mean for investors like does that mean anything no no you're fine okay (laughs) yes cryptocurrency is interesting and it's you know potentially a good place to put your money but um yeah, it's not going to have any effect on the U.S. dollar or on the stock market overall. Yeah, I yeah. think you'll be totally fine. Are you invested in any crypto? No, and I won't say I never will be, but I have no chance. When you look at the stock market, something that's been around for extremely long time and annualized something like 10%, do you? I mean, why would you put your money anywhere else when you can be you know, have this guaranteed thing that works, it's going to continue working. It's not going to change. All the major companies in the world, they're listed on the stock exchanges. I mean, cryptocurrency is interesting, but cryptocurrency... Do you even buy cryptocurrency on the brokerage market or on, on your, like, brokerage app? I mean, it depends. I think more and more are starting to do that. I think you can buy you have it to, on PayPal. Yeah, you have, I mean, most of it, I think you can do that, but I don't know for sure. Well, Elon Musk owns PayPal, doesn't he? He did. I think he sold it. And that's how he kind of kickstarted Tesla. PayPal was one of his like first big things, I think. Maybe. Well, I was going to say that just makes sense because he's big into crypto. Or at least he says he is. What? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. But anyways, so back to square one with investing. What would you recommend doing first? So 
you have your thousand dollars and you have your phone probably educate yourself and but um, i recommend doing that um there's definitely there's- a lot of bad sources out there will, that will tell you nonsense like- i would say there's somebody like um dave ramsey who's kind of like a um financial planning guru on the internet um he's like a reliable source i'm sure there's a couple others but then there's definitely a lot of places that will give you terrible advice like put all your money in crypto or um yeah start buying real estate and um renting it out to people yeah so a lot of places that will give you bad advice but um definitely try and educate yourself and then put your money into mutual funds etfs at something that you can afford like you should never be putting money into the market that you might need in the future so if like it should all be money that you are comfortable letting it sit there for 20 years like if i were to get in a car crash and have a bunch of hospital bills i should not be forced to sell stocks to pay for that because that i would say is the one big um that's why people are big on bonds because you're never going to be down 20 percent at a second in bonds and all of a sudden you're forced to sell it and you just lost all this money like you might in the stock market but with the stock, so with the stock market, you should be putting your money in there and knowing that you can let it sit for the long term. That if it goes down for a year by 30%, it doesn't matter because I don't need that money right now. And in the long run, it will be up over any other kind of instrument that you can put it in. Other than maybe putting your money with a PE firm or VC firm or something like that, that you can't do if you're a normal individual. Yeah, I was going to say... I don't think that I can take my money to a VC no, and be an angel investor yeah, with it's only usually a couple thousand dollars. A million dollar minimum or a half a million dollar minimum. Yeah. It really depends, but yeah, no, you can't. No. But that'd be cool, though. You'd be able to invest in a lot of companies. Yeah. Well, Maybe we could do that as a startup. <laughs> we can pool people's money. There's people that have tried to do that, but I don't think the performance is there. Oh, yeah. They have, like... um. I think there's um, something called Titan Invest, or maybe it's just Titan, where it's like the hedge fund for the everyday Joe, where it's like they try and market themselves as a hedge fund, where they have experienced investment professionals running it and sell- buying selling securities for the everyday Joe, and I think their performance has been miserable so far. That sounds about right. Yeah. I mean, if, yeah. So, I mean, at the end of the day, like an ETF or mutual fund is always better. Mm-hmm. Like you have hedge funds run by guys with 30 years of experience that don't outperform the market. And I would say that most hedge funds don't outperform the S&P 500 historically is kind of like, which is kind of crazy to think about. Right. Yeah. So educate yourself invest in mutual funds and ETFs and then after that do you need to monitor your portfolio like how often do you look at your portfolio and look and well, see the I mean I look at it a lot but I own a lot of stocks and I would say that my portfolio is not exactly risk adverse like I have a lot of you know high risk stocks that are um you know they're still negative cash flow like they're losing money every year and kind of trying to develop something so obviously i have to be on it with that because like bankruptcy issues solvency issues um yeah and i have to understand if the value prop changes because something like that can change fast 
especially investing in biotech, which I have done a lot, when you have companies like developing drugs and doing clinical trials, all of a sudden they can release their trial data and you could say, well, shit, this company is not going to do, <laughs> this drug is not going to go to market. It's not going to get FDA approval. And it's, yeah, it's the value that was there before that I thought was there is no longer there and I need to sell the stock. So for me, I definitely check on it a lot and try and look at company earnings for the companies I've invested in. And biotech, not so much the earnings matter, but more kind of data releases that they do every so often. And so what and do you, then, when you're looking at data releases and their quarterly reviews, what are you looking at? So what data are you looking at and being like, okay, that looks right. Like I'm going to keep my money in here because I'm seeing X, Y, and Z. I would just say kind of their like investor um, press releases, looking at that. They'll release stuff like, oh, they have, you know, stage one, two, three, and what is going on there. Basically just kind of looking at it and seeing what the efficacy is for these drugs, kind of what, against what it was expected to be, and what is kind of the timeline, because that is something that definitely changes. You know, a company can, you'll expect them to have like a two-year timeline before they can sell this off to, you know, a big company in the world, like a Pfizer, and um, or try and take this to market and with so, more capital. And then all of a sudden the press release will come out and you'll be like, this is still going to be in the pipeline for five years if maybe it never comes out. And that's kind of a big thing, I'd say. So what happens if you're invested in a smaller biotech company and then that company is acquired and you're invested in it and that company is then acquired by a larger company like Moderna or Pfizer? What happens to that investment? Does that then get absorbed Depen into Pfizer? And your well, it depends on what the rate is, like what the price is that they pay for the company. If you have a small biotech company and Moderna or Pfizer wants to buy it or whatever not, that's not, like the CEO of the company can't just sell it. They need to get board approval and the shareholders or the board is going to represent the shareholders and give approval to sell this company on their behalf. So hopefully as a shareholder, you're going to get paid a fair price because it's not like a $10 stock and a Moderna can just go and say, I want to buy this company at this price and buy out all these shareholders. It's kind of like they have to say, okay, we'll give you guys $25 for this and the shareholders can either agree or disagree. And that's not an individual decision where I can go vote on my phone, yes or no. It's kind of the board decides and then you'll get paid out based off that. Put your money in the market. It's <laughs> better than sitting in your wallet and try buying up stock. That's what I'm doing at the moment. Nothing else. Great closing comments. <laughs> yeah, super. Uh, <laughs> a Random Walk Down Wall Street is a book that you recommended to me. And why do you recommend that book? Uh, it has a lot of basic info, I'd say. So you, like, you can that learn that's a, a lot. good book for beginners to understand more of... The yeah. market and mm -hmm. the terminology, the buzzwords. Yeah, there's a lot of good stuff in there, I think, that you can learn about the market. And um, yeah, it's a good book. The, the thesis is kind of that an individual investor can't outpace the market and that your money is best put in a mutual fund or an ETF, which to a certain extent I agree with. And then are there any other sources that you found extremely useful? So I know you said Yahoo Finance is something that you used to look at. When you used to look at Yahoo Finance, what do you look at? Like well, you see the plot and you see what's going on, but like what do you really gain from looking at that? 
I mean, you kind of understand what's going on in the economy, which is a pretty big deal. Like, you could check, be checking the Wall Street Journal, Yahoo Finance, which I still try to do very regularly most days. And um, right, but when you, you can pull- understand like all the big things that are going on, all so the supply a- chain issues, the Fed rate hikes. So that's where you get a lot of oil the prices events as well. Yeah, exactly, okay. and that can help kind of inform your decisions. Like, um, if you were checking in on. There was what was this like? Be like two years ago. There was that whole like rap riot at the Capitol mm-hmm. and kind of stuff like that. And I know, um, I know people who kind of were tuned into that and started buying up and buying and selling gun stocks based off that and made money. And like, there's always kind of an investment opportunity to be made when current events, as long as you're kind of tuned in. Okay, and then. I guess for more advanced investors or people that are more savvy with investing or are able to pay attention to the stock market a lot more than people that just want to grow their money in sort of a reliable way, you can short a stock. Yeah. Well, I guess so, anyone that understands about shorting your options probably isn't <laughs> probably is zoning out to every word I'm saying. <laughs> but... um. Yes, you can. You can buy options. You can short a stock, and there's a lot of different approaches you can take on a stock. Like um, a hedge fund, a lot of the times they'll hedge risk, which means to kind of diversify and break up your risk by putting in a short position on a stock that they have a lot of or writing options on it. And that basically means the inverse of buying a stock when you are shorting it. You're thinking that this stock is overvalued and I think it's gonna regress to its fair value or go down. And there's certain levels of risk with that. Like, I don't know um, if you heard about the whole Reddit thing with um, GameStop. Yeah, there's a lot of risk associated with shorting a stock because if a stock goes up, you could be paying premiums on your position and giving away money to banks, tossing it down the toilet basically. And there are options where you'll also be paying premiums, some very serious premiums, if depending on the options you're buying. So going back to Reddit and going back to getting information from reliable sources, so a lot of people did make money on GameStop, but Lots of a people. lot of people did lose money on GameStop. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. So when you hear things on the news, because I know, what is it? Yep. So the CNBC news is always on, it's always talking about stocks, and almost immediately after a segment on one of those shows runs, there's an immediate increase or decrease in that specific ticker symbol. Or what do you mean? Like. After people have presented information on it, there's almost an immediate response based on what they just Yeah, because so, the stock market's driven by vault demand. Exactly, it's exactly. Funny, yeah. So how should people be kind of wary and careful about that information? Um, I That's why I would say, another reason why I would say, just put your money in ETF and you'll never have to worry about it. But... um. Yeah, it's definitely a significant thing, like what you saw with Reddit, where, you know, the hedge fund lost half of its value in a couple of days in a week, which is um, kind of crazy to think about. But um, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, a stock's value is not determined by their earnings, how much money they're making. It's while that may have a major, major impact and be the driving force behind the stock, and it usually is. It's driven by how many people want to buy and sell it. So if all of a sudden thousands and thousands of Redditors start getting together and saying, we're going to buy GameStop, 
that's going to drive the price up because all of a sudden you have thousands of thousands of buyers not connected to and there's less sellers right to buy this sell the stock at a certain price so yeah i mean definitely information displayed out there is a big thing and that's why i would say that um a stock like apple is like it's probably at a much fair value than a stock like um like a tiny little biotech stock or tech stock that's just getting out there like a penny stock because when there's all that information circulating when you have all these analysts covering a stock like a big S&P 500 stock it's hard to find value there because it's being priced out so much by all these people that are you really going to see something there that they are not are you really going to find value there that hasn't already been taken into account and then kind of going off of that I know you talked or touched on penny stocks those are the pink sheets that are in Wolf of Wall Street <laughs> and all those tiny, tiny companies. So what is a penny stock and why do people invest in them? I mean, penny stocks, I don't know too much about it. They're really stocks that should not be on the stock market. And well, I know with quite, Fidelity, at least, they give you an advisory yes. about investing in penny stocks and then they make you call in. You can't. So most broker apps won't let you buy them and you, yeah you really shouldn't be buying them because at the end of the day, I mean, they're companies that should never be on the stock market and they're massive risks. I think I invested in like one, um, oh no, I didn't invest in it, but it was a um, Canadian esports gaming company that actually did very well, but I never ended up buying it, yeah. What ultimately makes or breaks whether or not you're gonna make an investment? What makes or breaks like, whether? Like if you're about, you're looking into this company and you're like, I think I'm gonna invest in it, what is either the force that drives you to end up investing and what is the force that maybe prevents you from investing? So you just said that you were going to invest in that eSports, Canadian, whatever, but then you ultimately ended up not. So what was the driving factor and why, for instance, you may not invest in a company like that? Yeah, well, I think it's a lot of it is the risk and return. It really depends on what kind of an investor are you are and what approach you're taking to it. If you're, like, for me, a lot of the times, I will build, like, a financial model on a stock and try and price it out. So that means that I'm looking at their previous revenues, their expenses, all of that, how much debt they have, whatever, and I'm trying to project into the future what it might look like for the future and find a stock price based off what their future earnings are gonna be. And there's a lot of ways to do that. One of the big ones is probably DCF. It's kind of looking at that based off the risk because it really depends on the stock. But I mean, with a lot of the stocks I invest in, they're not that big, they're not profitable yet. And it is difficult to kind of look at the future and say, what is this company gonna look like? What are their earnings gonna look like in the future? And you can kind of look at that backed up against the risk. I would say especially with like come I'd say especially one of the big things that I think about is kind of how much cash does this company have? How long is it going to make it when it's a small company? Like if you have a company that's losing money every year trying to develop something or taking it to market, they're going to have a burn rate and you want to look at the company and say with how much cash they have, how long are they going to make it? at the current rate they're burning money. And then you have to look at, okay, are they able to take up more debt or are they able to offer stock 
so that they can keep going beyond that like what is kind of their balance sheet look like like do are they do they have debt through the roof that's repayable soon and like then you know that's a bad situation you want to stay away or does this company have low debt and they have enough cash to make it and do you really like the platform that they have and think that this is a successful thing and think that the stock is not priced through the roof so i guess that's kind of the other part is looking at a company but then looking at what the current price is because as we've seen in the market and we've seen stocks drop off the map like crazy especially in the tech space because tech's been so overpriced is that you can find a really great company and a really a really good company really great product it you know is competitively advantageous where it has like a great position in the market and it's kind of you know it's not going anywhere it's going to keep growing but then the problem is you have to look at that and then look at the stock price and sometimes you can find an amazing company and it's just priced through the roof and you have to be wary of that looking at kind of the metrics behind it like what is is taking into account the stock price like are they pricing it off like ridiculous growth numbers up into the future like what is the PE ratio and that's like a big thing um with like the tesla bears is they say like the tesla stock like i guess now it's probably down a lot i don't really track it too much but if you look at it like a year ago people were saying and have been saying there's been so many bears and it's been such kind of like a different situation where there's so many people that are so bullish on tesla and so many people that are like okay let's look at this they're pricing in ridiculous growth rates if you look at it the market cap is bigger than every other car company out there like they're pricing in a tesla taxi service baked into the current price like all these like ridiculous like concepts and you have to think about that kind of say okay the stock price has all these baked in it has massive revenues going all the way into the future already baked in the stock it has tesla offering a tesla taxi service already baked in the current stock price so before i go and buy tesla let me just think about if that makes sense and if that is fair value for where the company is right now if i should be thinking that they should have all this stuff baked in the stock the main takeaway and what the closing comment could be is that is that my closing comment i think think that was good i think that it was like no no but it's it's a good theme for you to not just oh i like tesla tesla's a good company i think that they're gonna do well yes that's it's it's more than that that's a big thing because i feel like you always talk about stocks and you're like i love this company it's great it's like okay it could be a great company but if you think it's a great company and all of a sudden you've had this epiphany, Peloton, I love Peloton, it's a great company. You just have to think about how many other people out there have already thought that exact idea and then say, let's look at the stock price. Mm-hmm. Whoa. Apparently everyone in the fucking world thinks Peloton's a great idea because this, this thing is priced through the roof mm-hmm. for what it actually is. And so mm-hmm. you have to, yeah, kind of think about what are great companies, but then what are great value companies. And that's kind of the difference between growth investing and value-based investing value-based investing you're not investing based off a company's growth and what you think they're going to be looking at a company like looking at a company i guess you could call tesla yeah, and saying wow tesla's look at what it's going to grow to be i'm expecting massive growth from this company it's going to grow 40 percent year over year and that's a growth-based investment because you're buying money into what you think is going to grow really fast and then you have value where you could say like warren buffett that's kind of his moneymaker, value-based investing. And he says, okay, Coca-Cola, been around forever, get up, be here. I think Coca-Cola is undervalued at the current price, so I'm gonna buy it. 
I think that it's not going to keep growing fast. It'll probably, the revenues will stay pretty similar, maybe grow a little bit, yada, yada. But I think it's underpriced for what it currently is. So essentially value-based investors make their money when other people look at that value-based investment as a growth investment. So then Mm. it drives the price up. So then value-based investors are making the most amount of money. No, I I would disagree with that. I'd say it's more not based off that. I'd say it's more based off market inefficiencies, just the market improperly pricing stocks like just taking a random company and the market's priced at $120, but you're looking at it and on the basis of its current revenue and how it's been in the past, you think it should be $150. And especially with how that revenue is going to change in the future. Overall, you can't trust anyone else's advice on investing. You have to look. So definitely don't (laughs) trust mine. So don't listen to a word we just said. (laughs) Delete this last hour from your memory. (laughs) Make your own decisions. Don't be influenced by other people's opinions. Ultimately, you can become informed by learning about other people's opinions, but don't invest merely because other people are telling you to invest or because that is what other people have told you is going to give you the best growth opportunity and you're going to see the most money blah 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 because odds are they invested at a much lower point than you did and you buying it now is only helping them but anyways so thank you so much for coming on brett i truly appreciated all of your insight you're welcome